There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, I was joined by J.D. Carlson. J.D. is the CEO of Plan Design Consultants, a third-party administrator working with retirement plans, and he is the host of the Retireholics podcast, a show focused on the retirement planning industry. I've been working in the financial service industry for the past 16 years, so 401ks and retirement is certainly a subject matter that I spend a lot of time on. We had a great conversation that went from the changes in the retirement industry over the past 20 years to the challenges that Americans face in their retirement planning to very specific information and instructions on how you can get the most out of your retirement plan account. You can find out more information about JD and what he's working on at plandesign.com as well as several other places that are listed in the show notes. If you'd like additional info, click contact us in the show notes and we'll get you what you need thanks as always for listening remember to tell a friend that's enough about that let's go let's get into it and get down to it welcome to figure it out this is george grombacher joining us in spirit today is centauri minor helping us move from awareness to action is jd carlson the ceo of plan design consultants and host of the retire holics podcast how are you sir i'm very good i'm very good thanks for being here yeah, we took the show on the road, and here we are in uh, Carlsbad, California, on July 3rd, a day away from the 4th, so I'm excited to uh, to be spending the uh, the 4th of July in California. So. Welcome to San Diego. Thank you, man. Happy to have you here. So it's been said that money is the root of all evil. Is it? Wow. <laughs> I probably could agree with that on lots of levels. Yeah, for sure. Although I'm also a, f- a fan of money in general. It can do good things, but sure. yeah, I can see the... The trait of evil that exists in it? It's my belief, um, and I will we'll give a little bit of a background on you and on, on, on my professional background that I don't usually talk about on the show in the actual introduction, but it's my belief that financial peace of mind allows people, allows us, to really more fully pursue our passions. Right. As if I've got financial worries, it's tough on my relationships, it's, it's tough on my work, our families, so if we can get to the place where we're in financial control, then I think that people are probably happier. Not only can you help yourself in in life with money and do things that you're passionate about and enjoy life um, and probably the more important things, but you can also help other people. So I think the the evil part of money is when you obsess over it or that's your total driver, right? Is money, 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 and that's your focus. You're probably not heading down the right path. Right. But yeah, money can do good stuff. So it used to be that Americans had pensions, which helped us to, to accumulate money for retirement, and those are, for the most part, a thing of the past. So now it's the 401k is our primary vehicle. Right. So why is it called a 401k? Uh, that's, <laughs> the, that's the IRS code, right? So okay. And it was kind of discovered, you know, back in the day, I'm going to miss the guy's name, or that's kind of debated who discovered it, but this this old guy kind of sought out reading through the code and thought, hey, I, I can make this, this 401k thing work in terms of salary deferrals, right? Having employees defer from their own paycheck. Um, but yeah, I think the shift from the defined benefit, you call it a pension plan world, to the defined contribution, aka 401k types of plans, um, is a huge factor in anything we talk about, right? And this, the simplest way to explain it is we've gone from a, a system where the employers really took on the responsibility and the liability to fund their employees' retirement, you know, aka back in the day, worked for a large corporation, and if you worked for them your entire career, they were going to set you up with a guaranteed annual income in your retirement, right? right? And then we shift to this uh, 401k model where now the responsibility is really more on the employee um, to save and prepare for their retirement. And obviously that can present a lot of difficulties, right? Uh, are they really prepared to do that? Do they understand all the metrics? And so that might take us into some of our conversations today, but is how do you 
create a, a, a plan like we have today, a 401k plan, but give the right tools and the, and the help and the consulting and, and the guidance so we can hopefully get to the same outcome, right? Which is a, a funded retirement, which is what really we're all after. Right. Right. So one day potentially we'd be able to stop working. Yeah. Well, let, you know, I hate to derail you on that one too. I, <laughs> I, um, you know, I love what I do, um, and I see plenty of people in their sixties, seventies, and eighties that are, you know, they're still alive, right, man? They're, they're enjoying their life. They're very smart, and a lot of them don't necessarily want to just play golf or go fishing or read a book on the deck. So right. I, I don't I don't think retirement has to be defined as, you know, at age sixty five I'm gonna completely stop working at all. But but no, you, the goal is to make sure that you have some type of steady income, non work related, and then maybe you can supplement that with doing something that you like that generates a little bit of income. So anyways, there's lots of lots of ways to that success. Yeah, yeah, and the good. Talking about the shift from, from pensions to, to, to the 401k, I think that people used to think, yep, I'll hit retirement age at 65 and then, uh, then I'll just stop working. But I don't think that people are really interested in that necessarily anymore. So. Well, we talk about the numbers. I mean, <laughs> and we're clearly not on those paths. You know, people aren't saving enough to, to have that type of lifestyle. Um, so to me, it's just kind of a mental shift, you know, that, you know, maybe it doesn't mean that you completely stop working. Um, you know, for me, you mentioned earlier, like, so I run a financial services company and I love it and I enjoy it. Um, prior to me doing this, um, I owned two surf shops. So in down in San Diego and, um, they didn't make me nearly enough money to support my, my family at the time. But I, sometimes I think about going 360 back to that in retirement mm -hmm. and running a surf shop when maybe I don't need as much income anymore and so I do it for fun you know because right. I really enjoy it and I like it and then it's a small source of income to to supplement my 401k balance that I built up you know yeah so it's an example nice so there's a lot of different parties or uh, aspects to a 401k plan um Plan Design Consultants is a third-party administrator. Just give us a little thumbnail yeah. sketch of what that is. So third-party administrator um, is probably the most exciting um, <laughs> part of it all. You're laughing <laughs> at me. That's not fair. No, uh, I, I was saying that in jest. Um, we do all the compliance work. So third-party administrator will, one, help design the plan, which is kind of a fun part, but create the plan documents or the adoption agreement. So the rules of the plan, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but then we will also do all the mandatory government testing. So when you have a 401k plan, the government requires you to go through a lot of tests. They're mostly like discrimination-based, making sure that the plans run according to the, the law, is, is fair for all the people in it. As an example, every year there's an ADP test, you know, for certain plans. There's ACP tests, there's top-heavy tests, there's all kinds of things. Um, and then we'll prepare the, the government filing to the IRS 5500. Um, and then depending upon the setup, um, we may also play a big role in all the distributions and rollovers and loans and things like that. But So it's really the nuts and bolts mm -hmm. and what I would call the compliance or the administration work. Um, the other pieces to the puzzle beyond the TPA, you've got your financial advisor, so the plan advisor who's really dealing with the investments, kind of guiding the employer, uh, working directly with the participants. Um, you've got what I would call a record keeper, which is, that's your large financial institution, that's your custodian of your assets, you know, the holder of the money, the, the institution that provides the website for the participants. To so the fidelities, the John yeah, Hancock's Yeah, fidelity, John Hancock's, principles, the list goes on and mm -hmm. on and on. Um, so those are kind of, and then I guess the last piece would be the investments themselves, right? So then, because typically we're dealing with mutual funds here. It doesn't have to be, but that's usually the majority. Um, and so you've got those, you know, also Fidelities, T-Rows, American Centuries, things like that. So those are your different players in a 401k plan. Um, I, sh should, I should note so we don't confuse any listeners. Um, when you use a TPA like my firm, in the industry we call it unbundled. But what that means is that many of those record keepers will also do 
the job that my company does. So it's kind of interesting in that sense, but they'll either work with us or they'll work without us. Um, so it's just a choice that's out there. Got it. Fair enough. So you've been in the in the in the 401k plan space for how many years? Yeah, so plan design consultants uh, founded in 1975 by my father. So we're 40 years plus. Uh, my father brought me in second generation. The biggest mistake of his life because <laughs> I I kicked him out as soon as I could and <laughs> shoved him into retirement and took over. That's just kind of the person I am. Uh, no, but. Uh, yeah, so we're, we've been doing it a long time, and I've been doing it for about 15 years, um, and I live, breathe, and sleep it, you know, uh, so it's a constant in my life. I'm always thinking about it, always working with my team on it. Uh, I've got four sales consultants. Those are my suits and ties that are out there, and they're always calling me every day with questions, and so, yeah, we've been doing it a long time. Nice, and I imagine that you've seen some changes. What are some of the, uh, if there's some highlights that you can say, man, this when, when we got started, it was like this, but now it's like that. Yeah, there's there's been some some big changes, and that's what makes it actually kind of fun is that it's always moving. Uh, I would say for me, and again, you know, focus on the last 15 years, I think one of the biggest changes was the fee disclosure ranks. Um, and there's a pro and con to that, but so I'm talking about 482 and 404A5, uh, 404B2 being the disclosure to the clients themselves, the plan sponsors, the 404A5 being the participant fee disclosure. So <clears throat> okay. the industry said, you know, there was a cry for help that, hey, we these things are hidden. They're not transparent. People don't understand that these fees are assessed to these plans. So let's force these institutions to disclose this to them. Now, Sounds great, and I and I I was very excited by that because that was a big um, that was a big thing for me at the time was trying to help plan sponsors understand the fees associated with plans. So I saw this as a good thing. Um, in the end, from a more pessimistic point of view, all we ended up with was some very you know many pages of financial disclosures that most people can't read or understand or look at. So. I'm not so sure it had the impact that I was hoping to do. Um, but in terms of importance, I think maybe it was the first domino to fall it, to get us kind of where we're at today. Um, and now today the big news is the fiduciary rules, the deal with fiduciary rules. But what I'm starting to see is at least some type of hyper-awareness towards these plans and the fees that are associated with them and, and are they being run properly, i.e. the fiduciary rules. So I think some good things are happening. Big changes for sure. Yeah. I think from, from my perspective, one of the most important aspects to retirement planning in general or saving money is uh, transparency and doing our best to help client, to help people understand how much things cost and the fees. And, and that's, that's what you were talking about. But Man, I've been in the industry for about the same amount of time as you are, and if I'm looking through those documents that you referenced, it's it, it's 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 clear as mud, man. Yeah, um, yeah I can, I've made that joke myself. Where you know, if, if I can't figure it out, then what type of disclosure is it? Because I do this stuff for a living. Mm -hmm. um, I agree with you, and I will tell you that um, I used to to work with plan sponsors, and I found it shocking that. And I'm making up these statistics, but I really believe that if I lined up 10 of them and said, okay, explain to me the fees associated with your plan, i.e., I want to know, like, do you know if you have any asset-based charges, you know, in terms of basis points, and, and what are they? You know, 20 basis points, 50 basis points. Do you know what your plan advisor is getting paid? You know, right. Is it a 50 basis point trail, or do you know, did they get an upfront commission? Um, do you know what share class a fund that you have, a mutual fund or your investment. And do you even know what that means? You know, and at, and at the time, this is still true today, you were talking about, you know, share classes are our sixes, our fives, our fours, our threes, our twos, our ones, A shares, B shares, C shares, T shares, Z shares, Y shares, institutional shares, advisor shares. What does all that mean, right. you know, to a plan sponsor or participant? And the reality is, it's just layers of fees. Yep. And it's not that fees are, are bad or inappropriate, 
It's just they need to be understood. Exactly. I'm a business owner. I've got 20 plus employees. Um, I am religious with my numbers. So I, I know what things cost me at my company, whether it's the lease on my printers or my healthcare costs or my, my salaries or my benefits or, you know, the paper that we have to buy to print on and the ink. Like those are all line items. You should be able to go to every employer or business owner and say, what does that cost you? And they, oh, let me look. Oh, it cost me this. They couldn't do that with a 401k. They couldn't tell you how much it cost. Right. Um, that's not right. Especially when we're not talking about a printer or paper. <laughs> we're talking about your employees and their money, uh, potentially the money that you're also putting in on their behalf and their future and they're happy. This is a very serious thing. Not to mention the laws of ERISA and the fiduciary responsibility that you have. So to not be able to know or understand the costs associated with that is unacceptable. And can you put the blame on the plan sponsor? Sure. But you put equal blame on the industry and the providers. Of course. And how it's all set up. Of course. And when, when we're referencing plan sponsor, that means the company. So if, if you work at Ford um, making cars, Ford is the plan sponsor. In, in, yeah, in that shame example. on me because I'm the surfer dude who prides myself on not <laughs> using ling industry lingo. <laughs> so, and I, I, I don't think, it, exactly like you said, I don't think that it's nefarious that there's fees inside of plans because if, if you're paying for something, if, if you're receiving a service, you should pay for it. But the transparency piece is important just so you can hold people accountable saying, you're charging me this. Are you living up to the fee that you're charging me? There's another big debate coming around with that where, yeah, okay, fees are okay. But our industry has somehow built, and it's because we come from investment management, um, fees that are that are basis points are asset-based, right? So it's a percent, I should talk in layman's terms, of, of the total plan assets. And so as the assets grow, those in institutions make more and more money. <clears throat> but do their services really change? You know, they're, they're still just servicing that 100-person plan, and it's grown from 1 million to 3 million, but they're making more. Now, I get it, the investments out there, mutual funds, that's pretty standard. And that could be debated as well, by the way. But, so there's this trend now that's more flat fee-based, which is moving away from uh, these, these asset-based fees, these percent of the total plan assets, to more of a, in my, my service is $5,000 a year, or it's $2,500 a year, or whatever it is for this service and for that service. And I think that's a healthy trend, for sure. And then the next thing that we're seeing is, um, when I say that fees are asset-based, or a percent of the plan assets, who's paying for those services? Well, it's the people that have those accounts. It's the rank and file, you know, predominantly. It's, it's all those plan participants that are paying for the services. Why not a a shift to the employer picking up the tab for the majority, if not all of, of these services. And that's another thing we're seeing. So that it's uh, money is the root of all evil. Like there, there is a lot of weird ways these things were built um, where people are making money and, and I just think it needs to be checked a little bit. Yeah. Which is what's happening. Right. <laughs> you can't expect it to get 100% better overnight, but it sounds like things move. No, in the right there's direction. a trend, though. There's a trend. So the transparency piece is, I think that's extremely important, but I also think that simplicity is is real important. And when we're talking 401k, it is super jargony, and there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but I think that the whole purpose is making it available for the employees to um, or rather accumulate assets for retirement. And so from your perspective, how do you best empower a participant to take advantage of their 401k? Well, I, and I hate to beat a dead horse that we've been talking about, but I agree with you on the simplicity and the transparency. And I think that participants not understanding fees and being kind of wary of 401k plans is a deterrent to them saving. Mm -hmm. So I think first and foremost, if we can make plans simple and transparent and make sure that participants understand what fees are being charged to them 
what and or what fees their employer is picking up for them is going to make these plans more attractive to them to dump more and more money into because mm-hmm. there are there are participants out there that don't want to participate because they don't understand Wall Street and what they're getting into. No doubt. And so if we can make them feel comfortable about the fees, then that's a positive. The next big deterrent is investment. So we started this conversation about a shift from the old pension plans to today's 401k plans. In the old pension plans, participants, employees, didn't didn't make investment choices. That was invested for them in a pool by the company. And so now in the 401k world, participants have to make their own investment choices. Well, that can be a deterrent as well, right? That, that can be intimidating mm-hmm. for your average person. And so the industry needs to continue to give them simple solutions um, that work. And, and we have, and we are, you know, there's target date funds and asset allocation funds, kind of plug and play solutions, if you will. But it's also important that the participants understand what those things are. And that's easier said than done. Right. Uh, our industry has made tons of initiatives to, to try to educate them. And I still meet with plan participants all the time. And, and they don't really understand what a target date fund is or the difference between a, you know U.S. equity versus international equity. And, and by the way, nor do they want to. Like, right. They'd rather go play catch with their son on the weekend than study their investments. So I think it's very important for us to continue down that path as an industry of giving them simplicity and things that work for them. But there's the catch, right? Is if we oversimplify, then we're underserving them in terms of their investment needs. Yeah. But, but there's there's solutions there. Right. Um, and then lastly, I think especially in the in the, the what we call the small to micro space. I mean, think. Uh, 100 employees or less or 50 employees or less, I think we need employers to to get more involved in and not just in, in monitoring and the oversight of these plans, but in, in uh, contributing to these plans, okay? So the biggest way to move the needle, the biggest way to help people get their nest egg, so to speak, is to dump more money into these 401k plans. Well, the participants only have so much resources in terms of their own deferrals, so... I'm talking about company match. I'm talking about employer contributions like profit sharing, upping those numbers, putting more money in, and that's going to make the biggest difference. And, you know, take all those things together, you know, and and also think about cool new technology that that can be available and will be available. And I think there's a solution there um, to, this is going to sound crazy, but we started the conversation like this. To almost make these defined contribution plans more DB-esque, more pension plan-like, mm-hmm. right, going forward. And that's that's not my epiphany. That's kind of an industry thing that I've heard a lot of, too. Make yeah. these more pension plan-like. Nice. So there's a lot of reasons why people are not saving enough money currently. And I'm not a, a – you know, statistics are – Something that I think when you start quoting statistics to people are like, well, that's great, but it doesn't apply to me, you know. I'm <laughs> but the reality is that we have the baby boomer generation, ten thousand a day, hitting age sixty-five. Yeah. And half of them, roughly speaking, with less than a hundred thousand yeah. dollars saved up. Um so average account balances are nuts. Yeah, this is statistics. We we as a people, baby boomer. Or, you know, people my age, you know, I'm 46, do not have nearly enough money saved up in their their retirement plans, I think is what you're getting at. Yeah. And the reasons behind that, I think people talk about, well, it's maybe it's procrastination or it's yada this, yada that. I fundamentally believe that at the end of the month, there's just no money left over to save because we overconsume. And I don't know if yeah. that's... Yeah, oh, well, I, that's funny. You're going there because that's... Yeah, I was probably going to go to that same place as we kind of live in the now these days, right? I don't know if you ever watched like the Dave Ramsey pitch or whatever. Or you bet. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he really hits the nail on the head a lot of times where he says, you know, you're making $75,000 a year and you're driving a Mercedes. Like, what what are you doing, you know? And I'm a Californian out here too, so it's, you know, it's even worse, you know, if you... Make one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. You're you're not rich in California. You're far from it. So 
it's yeah it's your personal habits and how important is it to you to to build savings and, and wealth I saw further you know screw farming hey I saw some shocking stats on people not having an emergency fund like there's some crazy thing out there google it where people couldn't cover their you know car going down they don't they don't have two grand set aside to deal with something crazy that happens and I was like oh my god can you imagine living your life you know literally paycheck to paycheck and if something goes wrong you're in a bind so yeah and that's our that's our current habits as a society uh, now the scary thing is and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about doom and gloom you know but is how does that all play out you know what what happens to these baby boomers and I, I touched on it earlier I think some of them will just work longer right I think some of them will abandon that idea of complete retirement you know playing golf and fishing every day where they're gonna say hey let me continue if they've got the skill set maybe they'll do consulting on the side to drive you know a couple extra you know tens of thousands of dollars their way each year to supplement their social security and whether whatever savings they've accumulated i mean there's going to be a variety of solutions uh, i make the joke to my my in-laws uh, nana and papa from minnesota that you know they're going to come live with me and I tell them I'm going to lock them in a silver stream trailer in the backyard or whatever and feed them a microwave dinners. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, maybe. Know, it's uh, the younger generation maybe that's working and is active. May take, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be interesting to see. It is. And I, this is one of, the, one of the things I really enjoy about working in this industry is that you try to research and you look back at history and to try to figure out how it is that we've arrived in this place and time where we are in the richest country that's ever been in, in, in the world, yet we're doing so poorly financially. Yeah. So poorly financially. And I think that when, when we do take a look at that and, and look at the history of consumerism in the United States and where we've come since 1900 to today, um, that sort of helps us to kind of understand why it is that, that people are getting to 65 or 70 years old not having saved any money. And it's cyclical, right? I mean, it's, you're, you're so right. I'm not a huge scholar in this area, but <clears throat> that whole generation after the Depression, right, the Great Depression, were great savers, right? They were very economical, and that was just their mentality because they had grown up seeing tough times. Or the generation before me as the baby boomers, as you call them, um, have probably seen just a lot of good times, right? And they're always thinking about today and, and not not tomorrow so much. And I've seen some, and people may laugh at this or argue this, but where like the millennials are very different from that. Where believe it or not, even though we look at them as kind of slackers and you know, but they're actually pretty smart when it comes to saving and they're they're frugal and they have different kind of uh, insights on work and life and all those types of things so it could be interesting to see and things change you know with each generation um but i you you made one point and i want to be clear with that it's because we said and the point you made was that you know, the united states just being you know so well off and in such a rich country in that sense and it's true that even one of our people that gets retirement with not enough money just got their social security and a little bit of savings you know still there's people in africa and Third world countries that would look at us and go, what? You've got a refrigerator in your house with like food in it? And you've got a car outside that you can drive somewhere? Like, so our idea of poverty, you know, may not match up very well against some other countries' idea of poverty. So oh, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, with that in mind, there's there's some, some pretty amazing statistics or numbers rather, because that is something that, that I try to keep in at least not the front of my mind, but maybe the middle of it. Um, Six billion people on earth live on less than $13,000 a year. Yeah, that's nuts. Almost half of the world's population, 2.8 billion, survive on less than $2 a day. Yeah. So. Yeah, get, case in point, right? Get your brain around that. <laughs> if, if you're making $40,000 a year, you're in the richest 2% of people right. on the planet. Well, that's kind of what I mean by the fact that you've got 
food in your refrigerator, you know, and you've got a you know car outside or, you know, you know, there's safety outside your door. And that's not true of all places in the United States. No. Let me be clear, you know, I live in my little bubble here in Carlsbad and I know that there's tough areas and people are struggling. I just mean, you know, it sounds like cliche, but somewhere in Africa, you know, there's a mom and a kid walking five miles to fill up some water and bring it back to their cardboard shack, you know? So, yeah. Anyways. It is a perspective is, is, um, still valuable to have, but tough to, uh, tough to hold on to. And well, I think it's tomorrow's 4th of July, right? And so you've got this kind of American pride thing going on and, and you were touching on it that here's this great country, this so successful of a country. And, and I think what you were trying to hit on is we have so many opportunities, you know? And so I was just comparing us to third world countries, but the fact of the matter is we have all these opportunities to save and create a great life for ourselves. And that's really, you know, what America was built on and we're still dropping the ball. So let's look, take a good look in the mirror and, you know, and say, hey, we're still screwing up. You know, we're still, we have everything handed to us to make this great life and, and we're not taking the steps that we need to uh, because we're, our habits are poor as they relate to our finances and whatnot, so. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, I'm not making a necessarily a judgment on, on consumerism here in the United States one way or another, but I think it is incumbent on each, each of us to look at our personal situation and kind of take a step back and say, hey, you know what, maybe I need to, uh, to, to re-examine some things. And guys like Dave Ramsey do such a good job of making it Great common job, sense. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's tough to hear. You know, you don't want to hear Dave Ramsey's advice, but it's, it's pretty legit, you know. It's just talking about living within your means, basically, right? Right. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in that as well, you know. Um, I, I think that the happiness in life is not about material things, you know. It's about the relationships you have, the things that you do. And uh, I was just as happy as a, you know, 24-year-old surfer, you know, uh, digging through our couch for change to put gas in the car to drive to the beach and surf as I am today living in this big house in San Diego, you know. That's, right. It's not the things that make you happy. It's the people that you're with and what you do that makes you happy. 100%. Yeah. There's a... I don't want to spend too much time talking about the baby boomers, but you have two generations which are of great interest to me. You have the boomers and then you have the millennials. And you referenced a minute ago that, that, that millennials are doing a pretty decent job with their savings habits, but they're prioritizing things a little bit differently. So I also want to circle right back to yeah. that. But the problem that I think that we're going to face as a country with the baby boomers, because it's the largest generation that we've ever had, are the entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, and they're going to put an enormous strain on those programs. Um, so that is, I don't have the answer to how we're going to solve that deal, but that's the issue. Um, they're going to be on a fixed income. The cost of housing is going to go up. So your your in-laws or whoever you were talking about from Minnesota are going to end up moving in. Yeah. And 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 so are mine if if if, if something isn't kind of addressed. But yeah, well, it's funny because when I first was learning the family business um, that was one of the first things I was taught in employee education meetings that was to let people know that social security was on shaky ground and the math was telling us that it's not going to be there for us you know a certain amount of years out here I am 15 years later closer to that mark and you're making a great point is geez you know wait till these baby boomers start sucking off that that those accounts because mathematically we're not going to make it right and hit a point where now, yeah, our government will make some change, right? Taxes go up. I don't know what, but some kind of you push the retirement age out. You know, the benefits, the definition of the benefits will change to to push out the the end date a little longer. Right. So, but it's still a failed system in that regard. Yeah, and it was never intended to be people's primary source of income. Jeez, dude, I like to stay happy and positive in my <laughs> life and my business, and you're hitting me with all this. Boom! You, know, you got to start saving more, man. Yeah, stuff. It's, thought, it's, 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 this is unpleasant. I thought we were going to talk about beer and 401k and my retirement yes. show. Well, and all this, this we can. <laughs> 
So millennials are, yeah. are, are, are doing a good job saving, but some, some of the stuff that I've, I've read is that they're not yeah. interested in stopping work at age 65. They see more as life as, as, as more of a fluid balance between right. work and life. Um, so they're saving money in a good amount, but it's not necessarily for age 65 or 70. It's for maybe 10 years from now or to be able to travel and, and things like that. So it's more of a lifestyle kind of thing, which, which I think is positive. Yeah, there's all kinds of moving pieces with that. Um, I was just um, pleasantly surprised that um, when I saw some statistics on them as it relates to retirement plans, that they had pretty decent behavior when compared to the generation before them. But you're exactly right. Um, there's also still that slacker mentality, and there's lots of there's a different perspective that they take. Um, they shift careers, you know, at a rapid pace. Um, I, from a negative standpoint, remember I'm an employer, so I, I hire and, and fire those types too, and they they want you know to rise up levels within your company almost immediately. You know, there's a very there's a big entitlement to them, so we'll see where the reality plays out for them in that space. But but on the positive side, and I'm very much a, an advocate of this that kind of uh, Venn diagram of life and and work that you talked about that they're big on and I love that like I don't see now I'm an entrepreneur and I run my own company so you know I guess I'm in an advantageous position to say this but I don't see work as work and life as like is life I blend the two together and uh, and I really enjoy that like it, to me it makes for a higher quality of life to to not be like oh I gotta go to the nine to five and work hard and, right it's kind of all together. It's all part of my life. Um, and I, yeah, the millennials, I think, take the same approach when they can. Yeah. So. Well, nice. So I think that there's a lot of really good rules of thumb when it comes to personal finance and golden rules. But I think one of them is pay yourself first. Right. And the idea that you need to take it off the top of your income, because if you wait to save money, on the bottom end, then the money's not going to be there. For sure. And I, and I think um, that works more than people realize. Um, I'm a, I'll give you a, per, a personal example. Um, when I first signed up for a 401k plan, and, and Tracy and I were younger, uh, we were strapped, we didn't have a lot of money, we had two young kids, and I, and I was you know first looking to save. And the enrollment form that I filled out had me put down a dollar amount. And I thought it was per month. And it was actually per pay period. So in a sense, I enrolled for twice as much as I wanted to. I didn't notice it for four months until my wife brought it up. It's like, whoa, we're putting this much into the 401k plan. You know, who do you think we are? <laughs> and I was like, wow, that wasn't what I intended to do. But... And this is a true story. I'm not making this up, you know. But at the time, I said, well, you know what? We've gotten through it for the last four months. Let's, let's continue on and see if we can make it work. And so you'll hear this at 401k enrollment meetings all over the country. Um, you go to Starbucks. you got a Starbucks cup right there in front of me. You know, you, you pay three bucks or six bucks for your foofy drink, you know. Um, or, or what's Dave Ramsey talking about? You're driving a car that's way too expensive for you. So are there opportunities for you to pay yourself first and take it off the top and save it? If you live in America, the odds are probably yes. There are plenty of opportunities for you to direct that money towards your future as opposed to spending it today on things that you don't really need. Yeah. There's no doubt. There's no doubt, right? So yeah, I think that's a very valid concept. Let me put myself first. Let me put my future first, and then deal with the the consequences of what I have left. You know. Yeah, and four hundred and one k makes that real easy to do because again, it comes right out of your paycheck. That's the beauty it of it. That's the beauty of it, and it gets 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 overlooked a lot mm -hmm. because. Um, it's not easy to save. Mm -hmm. you, you know, I can sit with Tracy, my wife, and say, hey, let's let's put aside, you know, $200 a month to just, you know, for, for safety and future. And things come up. You know, you go with the kids to the movies and it costs you this. You, you go somewhere and go to that one extra dinner out, you know, and, and you spend it. 
Whereas that's the beauty of a 401k is you set it, you forget it, every month it goes in. And even people who aren't diligent, who aren't responsible, who aren't good savers, turn around and 18 months later, 24 months later, they've got you know a couple thousand dollars saved up, which they never would have done on their own. Right. And I've seen those people and how excited they get. It's, it's a big positive, you know, someone who knows they can't save on their own to turn around five years later, they've got $10,000 put aside. You know, even though that's not enough to, to fund their retirement, it's still a great step in the right direction. Yeah, you gotta take small bites, man. Yeah, so like, kids make it work that way. Yeah, so that's one of those, I think, I think that, that when you start telling people you need to have a million dollars saved. It's like, man, how am I ever going to get that? But just start small. Start small. Well, you know, you're you're, you're in this business. Uh, The power of compounding is is a very powerful thing. Um, And money can grow money. Um, I don't get all self-help here, but it's it's actually (laughs) kind of some of the secrets of the rich, if you will. You know, it's, it's, it's their investments with their money that, that brings them more money that, that, that funds what they do. And so it's kind of the way for your average Joe to, to get a piece of that action, you know, put money in and, and have money grow and it grows and on itself. And that's, that's compounding. And before you know it, you look back after 30 years and oh my gosh, you know, you, you've built up a fairly large sum of money. So I agree with it. you. You look at the statistics, it's a bit intimidating, but you just start with those first baby steps. And and hey, like I said, maybe you don't get to a million. You know, maybe you fail in that regard. But heck, you got 425,000 and you're age 65. You've got more options now than if you hadn't saved. And so maybe at 65, you got 425,000. You say to yourself, you know, I think I can work Tom 75 and maybe when I get to 75, I can grow that account to 600 and something and I will, uh, I'll do some part-time work to fund it and, you know, live life. Let's also talk about this too. Uh, there's not all retirement costs the same. You know, you can retire here in California, you know, and, and it can cost you a lot of money or you can retire in, you know, somewhere in the Midwest and, buy some super cheap home and sit on the, the rickety porch in your you know rocking chair and drink lemonade that you made from dry mix in the yes. crappy kitchen right. and sit on the porch and read a book that you went and got free down at the library. So I'm talking dream, about a brother. super cheap retirement, but I'm 46. That sounds pretty fun to me. That sounds, doesn't sound that bad, right. that's what I'm saying. So you can also adjust your retirement goals based on how much money you have. A la Dave Ramsey, right? A la Dave Ramsey. You don't have a lot, you can't buy the Mercedes, so settle for something else and just be happy with it, darn it. Yeah. One thing that I I know that, that, that my wife and I fell into the trap of accumulating monthly expenses. If it's a magazine, or a subscription a to something, just a little stuff, because that, that just kills I you. Know. And I bet, um, I bet that people listening to this, if you went through your monthly expenses, I bet you could cut 250 bucks, no problem. Yeah, watch out for those traps too. I'm signed up for those where you you sign up and then it's just a reoccurring. Yeah. I'm guilty of that. I've looked at myself, we all are. What, what is this? Yeah. What is this fee? Oh, it's some stupid thing I signed up for, you know, that I don't even use anymore. It just keeps billing me every year, so. I bet you can find thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. And um, that's, those are contributions you can be making to uh, to your retirement plan. Um, anyway, so simplicity. Let's let's talk about the action piece. How do I know? How can I learn about my retirement plan at 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 work so I understand it? Well, I mean, the, the legal way. This is a boring answer, but <laughs> you're supposed to get a disclosure. It's called an SPD or a summary plan description. Okay. Um, it's supposed to be in layman's terms. That's the whole point of it is that it's plain English. It's really not, but if you read through it, it's going to explain to you the rules of your plan, the eligibility, whether there's an employer contribution, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the, that's the basics. And so I would say, well, if you, know, if you don't have an SPD, get your hands on one. 
Two, I would think that that's really what human resources is for. You know, I would hope that any company, there's someone there, small or large, that you can go in and ask questions about the retirement plan and get some of your general answers. Um, ideally, and you and I talked about this prior to starting this podcast, but I truly believe that the financial advisor role is crucial. And the better financial advisor you have associated with these plans, the better outcomes for everyone. And they're a great resource. Don't be intimidated by the plan's financial advisor. You know, call that person, reach out to that person and, and ask them these questions. That's what they're there for, is to help you. Um, and I think you're gonna find in the retirement plan world, um, it's, it's not like the guys on Wall Street. You honestly have, and I'm biased because I work in this industry, but I, I rub shoulders with these people on a day-to-day -day basis. You have a lot of good people that have chose to be in this, this niche of financial services because they want to and because they want to help people. I mean that. Mm -hmm. So you reach out to them, you know, and, and they'll be able to help you understand the plan. Um, because if you don't understand that there's a match available to you or, you know, eligibility things, yeah, that can be a, that can impede your, your success or your progress, right? Yeah. So understanding what, number one, if, if there is a match that the company is making on your behalf and... Are you doing your part to get that match, right? That's classic. I know I've already quoted Dave Ramsey, so I hate to quote Susie Orman, but you know, that's what she's on there raising her fists about is, look, if there's a company match... You do everything you can to, to get that because that's free money. It's kind of the concept of if there was a bank down the street and it said, hey, for every $500 you come and open your checking account, we'll put $500 in for you. There would be a line down the street. You know, The same concept applies. It's free money. You got to do it. Another way to look at it is it's an immediate 100% return on your dollar. So you know, whatever it takes get that company match. Yeah. And that can be one where you definitely reach out to your HR person or the financial advisor to help you understand exactly what that is. Because sometimes it's a dollar for a dollar match up to a certain percent, up to 4%, or maybe it's 50% up to a certain amount. It can be designed in a variety of ways. And, but either, however it's designed, you need to figure out what you need to do to make sure you get the most money you can from the employer. Because that's a huge thing to get that money. Um, I, th I think the next most important thing to make yourself self-aware is, and, and I know it's tricky, but you need to understand the investments. Because you're going to decide how much to put in, hopefully to get some type of employer contribution, um, the match. And then now where are you going to put the money? You know, what are you going to invest it in? And I, and I think that is going to impact how you get to the finish line. And I know it's intimidating, but I see billboards now by Prudential that say, you know, spend more time planning a vacation, you know, than we do our entire retirement, you know. We spend more time researching what washer and dryer we're going to buy than we do our retirement. So, so man up, spend a little bit of time, sit down, try to understand the investments that are available to you in the plan, reach out to the plan's financial advisor, Talk to them about your risk tolerance, your time horizons, your goals in life. It's not going to take that much time out of your life to make sure that you can put your money into an investment type that meets your goals, your risk tolerances, etc. And that way, when you put your head on your pillow at night, you feel better about everything in general and you know where it's at and what's going on. So, Because investment's important too, right? Oh, for sure. How do you feel about target date funds? Um, I like target date funds. Uh, I understand their, um, the cons associated with them, but I, I like them because of the simplicity. And I think that just for the greater good, given all the negatives they might have, the greater good is that it's a simple, easy choice for, for participants. Um, in target date funds, the way that they have the glide path where as you get closer to retirement, your investments automatically become more and more conservative is a is an investment concept that could take a lot of time for employees to understand it takes a lot of um, consistency and, and and action for them to to execute it which is pretty unrealistic to to think what happened so a target date makes that all work for them 
the negatives of it are is that you know and again target dates are defined as like you know 2050 fund or a 2060 fund or 2045 fund being as that that's the, the year in which you're going to retire and the negative is not all people that retire in 2050 have the same risk tolerance right one person could have you know bunch of gold bars buried in their backyard and the other and their mortgage is paid off and the other person can be deep in debt and so so they're two different human beings but in general the concept i think is a good one for the for the industry yeah um buyer beware you know we're talking about empowering the participant not all target date funds are the same so that's another unfortunate misconception is that oh well the target date funds from t row price are the same as the target date funds from American Century are the same as the ones from Vanguard and the same as ones from Fidelity. And nothing could be further from the truth. Um, they have different underlying investments. They have different investment methodologies. They have different asset allocation. Um, many times, you know, let's talk about the main component. I'm sorry to get technical, but you know, just your, your equity versus your, your cash and bonds, um, those percentages, proportions could be very different from one target date fund to the next. So again, don't get discouraged. Don't get intimidated. Seek out some help um, and get someone to guide you down the right path so you're, you're making the right choices. Yeah. I think that from a simplicity standpoint, target date funds meet that. Yeah. It keeps it, it, keeps it pretty easy. What's the alternative? Asking every Tom, Joe, and Mary to sit down and build their own portfolio out of 16 different mutual funds and monitor those funds. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's what we were doing 15 years ago. That was not going to work. Is there a rule of thumb that, that you think that somebody should be contributing to a 401k? Yeah, the, the industry says 10 to 15%. Um, I think I wrote a blog post on this. I don't know if you have show notes and stuff. You probably mm-hmm. get to that, but um, I, it, it's and we even talked about this on an episode of Retire Holics. Um, it's really a it's a one person by one person kind of concept. Um, but if you want to do rule of thumb, then yeah, it's ten to fifteen percent is kind of the industry yeah. standard. But again, it varies. Where are you going to retire in California? Are you going to retire in Texas? Are you going to retire at 65 or are you going to retire at 75? Um, are you, you know, there's so many factors, right? Yeah. But 10 to 15% and what my, I wrote down some stats, like the average, according to the PSCA, uh, the average deferral rate is 6.8%. You can get different numbers from different people. Fidelity had something where they pulled theirs and it was slightly higher than that. Um, but uh, it's not near the 10 to 15% that it needs to be. Right, right. And just like you said, it's all relative and it depends on a lot of different factors, but we'll quote Dave Ramsey one more time that nobody ever got to retirement age and was pissed off by all this extra money that they ended up saving. Is that a Dave Ramsey (laughs) quote? No, not at all. Who knows, who knows? (laughs) um, Okay, one thing that I I never want to encourage people to, to, to go at this like they're studying for their CFA examination or trying to get an MBA in finance or anything like that. But you do need to take an interest in your retirement plan. Just like you're talking about, we spend more time researching our washer and dryer than we do our 401k. Because if you and I are more concerned with our client's retirement plan than they are, then that's I, incorrect. I totally agree. In the, and I don't want any of my comments before to be misconstrued in that um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that someone has to get obsessive over this and and you know start to really spend tons of time involved with their investments and their 401k. I'm just saying, it doesn't hurt for once in a while to spend a little bit of time to get kind of a general understanding of what of what's going on. And I like to talk to participants and say, when you're at a cocktail party or you know or hanging out with the neighbors and someone asks you, hey tell me about your 401k, you know, where are you invested? I think that you should be able to answer that question. I, I think that you mm-hmm. should be able to, even as just, you know, someone who's not into the whole thing, you should be able to say, you know what? I, uh, 
I worked with my guy or I did some research and I know that at my age, I have a 60-40 split. You know, I'm 60% in equities and I'm 40% in fixed income. And I think you should even be able to go so far. This isn't intense stuff to say, and in my 60% of equities, I've got, you know, 20% in international equities, you know. Or and maybe you're even telling them, oh, I'm in the Vanguard target date fund and that's how it's broken down, you know, at current date. Sorry to challenge you all, but mm -hmm. I think you should be able to answer that. I think it's very unfortunate if your answer is, geez, I really don't know. Here's all this money I worked so hard for right. that I've put into this plan and I have no idea how it's being invested. That's not a good answer. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident for the most part you talked about how you work with a lot of really good people who, um, who are working in this space and who are interested in helping people be successful financially. And I definitely agree. So... I also know that all those folks are interested in having a conversation with you, the listener, about how you can understand everything and, and, and take advantage of the plan. So call them, email them and say, hey, can we have a, a quick call or can we meet the next time that you're in my office? I really think that is their job is to not just tell you where to put your money, but to help empower you, the, the, the listener, the participant, the employee. Um, so that you're comfortable with the decisions. And so when you meet with that advisor a year later or two years later, you two are kind of speaking the same language and just touching base again as you move further towards retirement. So yeah, mm -hmm. just get involved. That's all we're saying. Yeah. Spend a little more time on it. It's going to make all the difference. And who's benefiting? Exactly. You are. What's the ROI on that, man? What's the ROI on the 60 minutes you took Taking a look at your account and talking with your advisor and understanding that it's a big ROI. It's huge, right? It's, it's very important. It'll impact the number in a big way. I think it's that financial peace of mind that we talked about right at the start. If you know that you're on the right path, that you're moving in the right direction, you're going to sleep better. and Yeah. Quality of life is going to be better for, for you just in the day-to-day. -day, mm -hmm. right? Knowing that, hey, maybe, you're, maybe your finances are screwed up in all kinds of areas, you know, but at least you're doing something when it comes to your retirement. That's going to give you a little bit of peace of mind. Um, so, Yes. JD, as our time is drawing to a close, what have we forgot to talk about? What do we... What else? Um, you know, hopefully I won't get too long-winded too long -winded with this one. But um, I think there's a stigma um, about Wall Street about financial advisors, about investments, and it's something that I'm personally trying to really kind of fight against, trying to change the industry, so to speak. Um, and I think when you talk to participants, they're very uncertain, they're very um, um, scared of Wall Street and these, these people, and that they're ripping them off, or that there's, you know, we talked about earlier in the show, all these hidden fees and lack of transparency, and I'm here to tell you that it's not really true. Um, that, yeah, that exists. Sure, we've seen the Bernie Madoffs. And, and, I, and don't get me wrong. You started it with the money is the root of all evil. Does that exist? It surely does. But there is this huge group of people in this profession that are out there that is not the case. They're, they're good people. Guys and girls with, with families and goals and dreams and lives and they just want to help people and do good things and and make um, prudent money for it. Sure, you know they got to get paid. It's not for free, just like any other vocation. Um, and so I would just say, um, don't be scared to interact with those people and get to know them a little better. Um, and and hopefully watch this industry shift and evolve and, and morph a little bit from the uh, you know middle-aged white guy in a suit and tie that's you know talking above you on financial terminologies you don't understand to what I see out there which is not that which is a lot of people trying to help so anyways not all Wall Street money financial services is is evil and bad this guess my point yeah fair enough I appreciate that Excellent. Well, where can people find you? You can find me anywhere, anywhere, man. <laughs> I mean, I get to just Google me, but uh, there's, it's a, and unfortunately, there's lots of places you can find me. So, plandesign.com is, is the company. You can go there and all our social media 
links are there, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. Um, you can go to 401k.com, and that's F-O-U-R-O-1-K.com, and, and that's my blog. Um, so you'll, you'll see all kinds of 401k-related articles and things there. Um, you can go to Retireholics, and you can spell that with a C or a K, um, and you'll find our YouTube show there and links to all the social media there, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. So I'm all over the map. Um, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn because my audience is financial services and that's where their attention is. So that's where I'm most active, but I'm on all social medias out there and feel free to reach out to me and say hello. Um, it happens every day, so awesome. I'll get back to you. Excellent. Well, thank you again for your time. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.